it's time to start unpacking with a brand new episode of the B Word Unpacked, hosted by the ladies of Good Stock Consulting, Kelly Kim and Ebony. Hey, 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 B-Pack. Welcome back to another episode of the B-Word Unpacked with your friends in your head, Kim, Kelly, and Eb. Now, ladies, ooh, child, did y'all catch <laughs> Megan and Harry's interview with Oprah? Ready to fight? Uh, let me say this. I did not watch the whole interview, but I have watched so many breakdowns and commentaries of the interview. I feel like I might as well should have watched it. And leading up to the interview, I was just so excited because our homegirl, Oprah, I knew she was going to bring it. I was a little concerned if she was going to overtalk people because that's what she does. But she is allowed because she is Oprah. But, um, she is Auntie Oprah. But, um, you know, I'm that person who loves this kind of British monarchy gossipy stuff. So oh, I, I, I was sucked straight up in it. It's it's occupied a lot of my mental space over the last 72 hours. I'll say that much, Kim. <laughs> For real. Did you watch it? Watched it. I live tweeted it. I was ready. Oh, Lord. I was tweeting. Of course you did. Of Listen, course you did. I was tweeting the queen. I was tweeting doggone Kim's cake with her lion tail. Um, tweeted her. I wanted everybody to know, okay, that they now had a whole, you know how they have a K-hive and a beehive? Yeah. I don't know what this is, but I wanted to know I was a part of it. Like, yeah. Megan got a hive. Megan got a hive. Megan got a hive. It's called the the moment drop. I don't know, but all I do know is, is that yes, I was on Twitter. um, And so was, I feel like every other black person in America writing about, especially when it got to the skin tone. I know you're going to talk about Mm -hmm. that. We're going to get there. We're We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. But I will tell y'all, I was not surprised. So I watched it the night it aired and I, I, with all the gasping, I was like, why are we surprised? We, we, we didn't expect this. I mean, first of all, no disrespect to the Brits. I think the monarchy is antiquated. I think it's um, it it's feels a little weird. fictional. It feels like a storybook. Like, why are we even entertaining this? I mean, I feel like I'm gonna start calling myself Duchess Kim of Hollywood. It seems I mean, that arbitrary, like they have no power. So why do we give it so much power? And then after watching The Crown, which I believe to be uh, based on historical facts. It is. Yeah, oh, they, right? they, you know they argue it's not, but that's what they that say that it's so not. Real. But it totally it, so real. Yeah. Yeah. Between that and the documentaries of Princess Diana, I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, we already know their ass was fraudulent. So why are we mm-hmm. doing this? Mm-hmm. Dusty and musty. Just you like know, the, I'm not dusty I, and musty. I'm surprised by any by what they shared. I don't think any of us are. I mean, we're talking about the British Empire, right? The greatest colonizer of other countries mm-hmm. in history. So we're not surprised by what they did. I don't think. A part of me was surprised, and this could be foolish, that they did it in the first place. Thinking back to her initial reticence and concern about so much media scrutiny, right? And so Mm -hmm. she said that multiple times. This is not just me pulling something out of the thin air. They talked a lot about not wanting as much media scrutiny. And if you're going to Queen Mother Oprah, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you are just putting it all out there. So I did wonder about that a little bit. But honestly, I wasn't surprised about what came out, but I like I like the bombshells that they dropped. I, I like the bombshells I, that they dropped. Kelly, twisted. About, I don't think she was talking about scrutiny as far as like, oh, y'all are talking to the press. I think she meant more so like scrutiny of I'm going to be very vulnerable and talk about the fact that 
I was depressed and suicidal because when she miscarried, you saw those jackasses um, who were saying things about her and her pregnancy, right? So it's like, do I open myself up to be vulnerable again just for some more jackasses to feel like they can now come? And when I say I was going to commit suicide, they say, oh, why? Mm-hmm. So y'all are all speaking my language. So and that's why the name of this episode is Bombshells, because she dropped some serious hand grenades that that I'm sure will change the monarchy and how they operate moving forward, right? But oh, absolutely. She, but what she and really brought attention to that I can appreciate is mental health and womanhood and what that means. I I, I hope that women saw that. And in fact, we're going to unpack that tonight because we carry so many things for so many people. And often we don't have the kind of supports or outlets we need to manage it all. So before we get too deep into this conversation, y'all, let's hop on over to the B side. Welcome Welcome to to the B side. Mental health is critical, yet still very stigmatized. We have done a better job in recent years, I will admit, with talking about mental health issues in open spaces, especially within the African-American community. But we are talking about it in the, are we talking about it in those smaller, more intimate spaces? You know, with your family, with the people who really see you every day. And I'm not so sure. You know, I was proud of Megan for sharing her story because I cannot imagine the mental mm-hmm. distress of reading crazy shit about you and mm-hmm. your unborn child and your family every day. So rather than us just unpacking this craziness by ourselves, we invited the fabulous, the the magnificent, the ever so talented Dr. Sarissa Huji, who is a psychiatric nurse practitioner to come and help us unpack some of mm-hmm. these very, very, very heavy mental health issues that Megan dropped on us. So let's welcome Dr. Huji. Welcome Dr. Huji. Thank you all so much for having me. It is my honor. Y'all know I'm a huge fan of the Goodstock family. So I'm glad to be a part of this tonight. Yeah. Awesome. Well, tell us, Dr. Huji, you watched some of the interview. I know it was a long one. So you said you mm-hmm. got through some of it. Tell us what your initial reactions were. OMG was really my initial reaction. Um, and I think um, what really resonates with me, especially for Black women, I heard recently a quote that said, depression is a luxury that Black women cannot afford. Tweet mm. so, that. Yes. Repeat that. Um, Repeat and I can't that. remember where I heard it. Depression is a luxury that Black women cannot afford. Um, and that is because we carry so many things. And I think there is a different level of empathy, um, you know, no disrespect when it comes to white women who deal with mental health issues um, as opposed to black women. And so I think it's huge that she did come out and and share that. Um, but what really, really struck me was that all of this happened within the context of her pregnancy which we kind of talked a little bit about earlier. Um, And so in addition to the racial kind of undergirding that was taking place, she was also dealing with hormones and just all of these things that she was having to manage a changing body, uh, being a newlywed. So these multiple stressors just gradually over time chipping away at her soul. Um, So it wasn't really a surprise to me uh, when she said that she became suicidal. Yeah. You said something powerful. You said chipping away at her soul. And mm-hmm. that's exactly how she looked in the face. She looked pained. Yeah, right. She looked pained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, I we 
she's talking about, you know, the stressors and because of the tabloids and not feeling safe. In fact, Harry said, Harry characterized it as feeling trapped. Mm. In fact, he said that his father and his brother were still trapped. And I wanted to ask you ladies, you know, have you ever been trapped in a space? Like not, not physically, not like in a dungeon, but metaphorically, like, have you ever felt trapped socially, emotionally, psychologically. And Mm -hmm. in hindsight, now you can say, damn, I I was really stuck. Like for Mm -hmm. myself, I'll share, I had postpartum depression after Trey Jr., who's my oldest. And it took me like three to four months to realize that something was wrong. Like I wasn't operating as my normal self. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't until maybe a year out that I could look back and say, damn, I was stuck. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's... Yeah. Go ahead, Ed. Yeah, I was gonna say I remember distinctly. Um, this was after I graduated. Med- I, actually, it was after I um, finished residency, and I remember I was walking to work one morning, like five o'clock in the morning, having this back and forth with Jesus um, about just life. And, and at that point, I was um, I was dating Trip. <laughs> anyway, oh, <laughs> name dropping. But anyway, there was a lot of like back and forth, and um, and I remember walking to work, and I was like you know, God, if, if this would have happened and this would have happened and this wouldn't have happened, like, I felt like the weight was on me of like the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was like, how is it that I have accomplished all this stuff? And why am I not happy? Yeah. You know, like you can take all of this, you can, you can have these degrees, you can have this, like, what is it? And it was, it's that point that you get to where you feel like I'm about to break. And, and everyone can look at you and say, oh, you're in this castle and you're now a princess and you got all these guards and jewels and, and glam. And it's like, you can have all of this because I don't know if I even want life. Now, I never got to that point. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but it's not because I'm any stronger. It right. could have just taken one more little feather and that would have been my, my day, you know, yeah. so. Yeah. yeah, you never know what'll set you over. I mean, for me, Kim, for sure, that feeling of trappedness or stuck. I can think back two years ago, the summer of 2019, which was two years after my mom's passing. And I think I never really had the opportunity to even grieve. So um, the B Packers will know I've shared, you know, many stories about my mom's passing, but 16 months leading up to her passing, she was in and out of the cardiac ICU. I'd say probably a good 13 of those 16 months, she was in either the ICU or the hospital. And at the time I was solo parenting. So I had at the time a three-year-old. And so every single day was the same thing. Wake up, get him dressed, take him to school, go to work, pick him up, get him a snack, go to the hospital, come home. Every single day for well over a year, that was my existence. And then after that, there was a month of every single day going to the hospice, same thing. And then she was gone. And the reality is five days after my mama passed, I was back at work doing the same thing that I had been doing for years. And it's like in our society, you never really get a chance to pause and to break to break or or to just reflect and you know don't I had been in therapy I had had countless conversations with people but that something in my mind just clicked and was like Kelly if you don't take a literal break if you don't physically remove yourself from the work environment if you don't physically remove yourself from like and plus our B packers know we're all type A, you know, yeah. overachievers. Mm-hmm. We strive on multitasking, like that's the name of the game. But I had to coach 
coax coached myself into saying I'm gonna stop. And six months later was when I left my job, and it was the best decision I think I've ever made for myself. It was the most grown up decision I made because otherwise, to Eb's earlier comment, you don't know when you're gonna break. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was at. <sighs> I was close. And the crazy thing close. is, you never even mentioned your. I'm she never even, and you could never even see it. Look, That's I'm, the crazy I'm a whole thing. ICU attending. Like my my literal job is to work in the cardiac ICU, and you never once mentioned to me your mama was in a in a cardiac ICU. That's how much we keep cycling. That's how much we keep into even yes. the people that we work with day to day. I had no clue. Yep. Yep. And, and she was carrying massive projects. And so I wanted to ask Dr. Huji, like, what is what is that um, stuck? Is that is that depression? It can. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, and I I was thinking about my own story and having my twins like in the middle of the pandemic mm-hmm. um, and being very much socially isolated and sleep deprived and how, you know, really I was worried about myself. Um, because I would have, you know, this anxiety. I'm not naturally an anxious person, but I became very anxious and I would have Mm. visions of us, like terrible things happen to my kids. And I mean, just all of these things. And I remember feeling like I was drowning and sinking and I would have to will myself to get out of the house. I would pack my babies in a stroller and we would go for a walk just around the block for 20 minutes because I was not going to die up in here. I mean, that is how I felt. Wow. Um, and, and so it's overwhelming. Those initial is. months are overwhelming. And not and you to had have two supports. of them. Woo. Exactly. And not to have that support. And so that for me is the stuckness um, and that feeling of I don't have a way out. And what I want to talk about in terms of like high achieving African-American women who are typically the one of us who are in these professional spaces, mm-hmm. how that really affects us um, emotionally in terms of microaggressions or feeling this pressure to represent the race well. Yes. Um, and, and what does that look like? So for you, Eb, I'm, ex- you know, I got all of this, I'm doing all of this. Why am I not happy? Mm-hmm. Because the weight and the pressure, that responsibility of shouldering the race, for lack of a better term, yeah. it really, I mean, that's a lot. You know, because if I talk this way, if I do that, um, I'm actually designing a training for a consulting firm about racial battle fatigue, uh, which is an interesting term, but it really looks a lot like PTSD. And that Mm -hmm. it comes from us encountering systemic racism over and over and over again, or fighting against, for those of you who are activists, systemic racism over and over again how that weighs on you and it makes you hypervigilant. It makes you not mm-hmm. trusting. Um, and it really kind of sets us up for some mental health issues. It's, it's a form of trauma. Yeah. It, you know, it, you mentioned a, a thing that um, oftentimes Kelly and Kim will have to talk me off. Um, and they'll, they'll tell me like, there's been this one incident where I shot off an email um, to one of our clients, which we won't name. Um, but I shot off an email because I was so frustrated with having to explain why black and brown people are dying and why everyone else should be as pissed off as I am about it. Mm-hmm. And um and and it caught them two off guard. <laughs> um, off guard. I, off guard. <laughs> but um and you know and it led me to think even because of and maybe you can help me to articulate this. 
the black experience is different too. We're not in monolith and, right. and the trauma of, and where I, when I went through to debrief myself of like, where did that come from? Um, it was because literally I was talking from the space of the, the childhood traumas that I had to deal with that I'm not sure Kel- Kelly and Kim had that experience of where when you're coming from a single parent home and your, your father is battling with his own childhood issues and you see what poverty does because I grew up in you know with free lunch um right like when you see that community and you you know the obstacles they literally try to take your life Mm. and now you're in a position to speak on it and people say oh but we don't want you to say it like that it hits me it hits a nerve that isn't able to be quieted yeah it feels personal it feels personal you know and and we work, we're, we're, we morphed into a DEI firm, right? Because right. we had this passion for our experience. Although we worked in healthcare, we had a passion for diversity and equity work. But Lord, it is a heavy burden to be mm-hmm. entrenched in conversations about racism mm-hmm. and discrimination mm-hmm. and implicit bias every day all day all the time wow. oh all the time God. all the and time. fighting those things within your own institutions yes. within your own organization so yes. you're doing it both inside your space and then in other people's space and uh you know i've popped off on many a day and and i've said um to all our white allies who listen you know either close your ears or just accept it. But I've been like, I can't talk to white people anymore about what they need to know or what they need to do because they know what they need to do. And I'm tired of the same conversation. And Lord knows we've had the conversation many times, Mm -hmm. but then I'll, I'll wake up whether it's a day later or a week later and recommit to the work, but there are frustrations because Mm -hmm. Lord, when you have to deal with it every single day, and then when you think about your kids dealing with yes. it. Mm-hmm. And the difference too, when you think about Meg, to bring it back to that, you know, she, Megan, because I don't know her like that. Like, right, like, like that's your home girl. You know, Meg. No, but I have, I have been in her situation though. When you marry a white man and you're in a family of white people and she is in a whole different country now where she doesn't have her safety net of people. And when you're in that position of having to explain what it means to be black, because just because I married you did not mean I changed me. I married you for love of you. It doesn't have anything to do with with who I identify with in my life experience. And when I have to explain that, it is trauma on top of trauma. Mm -hmm. When I have to explain to you that they called my child, my future child, an ape. A monkey. When I got to explain that to you and you mm-hmm. tell me not to be mad about it, again, it cuts in a different way. Yeah. And it's not even the explaining because sometimes I don't even have the words to mm-hmm. explain mm-hmm. how this feels. Right. And I'm frustrated because you're forcing me to explain it, to explain it. And to I don't have, it. yeah, to explain it. And I don't have the words. And then I also worry or consider Megan because she's biracial. And I know that that has its own internal mm-hmm. psychological conflicts for some people. And so, and she presents as white, but her mother is, is black, mm-hmm. black, black. And so how do you affirm yourself as a black woman to this white community when you don't even look black? Trust me, she mm-hmm. don't Hold on, quote. no, but trust me, 
she she recognizes identifying. Oh yeah, no, I know she recognized it, but I'm just saying from what I hear from my biracial friends or colleagues, there's this internal conflict of am I white? Am I black? I'm neither. And how do I reconcile that? And it and it's I would imagine that it's harder to do when you have people attacking you from all fronts. Mm-hmm. What do you yeah. think about that, Dr. Huji? I mean, what's yeah. your take first on? I'd love to hear your take on them attacking her kind of as a black woman, but then also the attack on the child, which happened from the jump. I mean, as soon as the world knew she was pregnant, the attacks came. Where they do that at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It really speaks to the idea of generational trauma and, you know, us things like us having to have conversations with our young black boys about how they approach the police and, you know, all of these things that we teach, these unspoken rules that are passed down from generation to generation. And so I can only imagine for her having one idea of, you know, this is a welcoming family. They're going to love me. They're going to love my Mm -hmm. child. And then from the get-go or her being pregnant, they're saying, you know something, we're concerned about the color of his skin. How dark Mm -hmm. is he going to be? Like, how is he really going to come out? I so wanted him to be a brown-skinned baby with red hair. I so wanted him. He came out just like his daddy. He (laughs) came out just like Harry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wanted it too, Kim. You just want him to come out a healthy child. Well, right. ultimately, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to, I wanted a visual stamp. But that was your selfishness. That, that was your selfishness because mm-hmm. in a way, that's the same, that, that, that what you talk about with your biracial um, mm-hmm. friends, of them not knowing which one is yeah. that because people want them to be this way or that way. And it's, right. it's ingrained from the time they're little kids. I'm like, oh, well, what are you? Yeah. You know, or, well, where is, where's your mother? You know, because you can't be, you can't be with this mama because she's black and you're right. not black. So where is your mother? You know, mm-hmm. that, so you, we should really, we got to start changing our narrative of, right. of how we want people to come out. We want them to come out breathing can we talk about colorism for like 2.5 seconds Mm -hmm. 2.75 you you know because it really is still an issue Mm -hmm. Um, you know because some people don't feel like you know Megan or Kamala you know those individuals are black enough and I want to say for me having a child now my dad was like my grandmother was like um, but me having a child that came out light skin, my husband and I had this joke. He was like, if you have a light skin baby, I'm going to call the people and I'm going to get a paternity test. Right. <laughs> so lo and behold, yeah. my child comes out light. Um, and in my mind, when I saw her, when I imagined her, I imagined a chocolate baby Correct. because everybody in our family, everybody's chocolate. So when she was born, I had to really um, and, you know, I'm extra like this, but I had to explore my own body biases against people who are light-skinned. Oh, it's black. No, no. It's don't move from that one. It's black. Yeah, because it is a real thing, you know, because we, I remember even growing up when we saw Usher's video, My Way, was the first darker you did not take it all the way back to my way way, yeah so that was the first time I saw someone who and she wasn't even really dark she was brown 
um, on television. And I remember feeling excited about that, Ebony, whereas previously in, you know, high profile media roles, the majority of women who were shown were your complexion, you know, they were lighter. And so those of us who had more melanin were not, um, you know, seen as beautiful, you know, so there is a level of trauma, I would even say, you know, as it relates to being a woman who has darker skin, and even me, my, my complexion has changed. I've got darker since I was pregnant and I had to even work through that um, you know mm. because I look a little bit different so uh, you know just being honest there really has been a lot of um, trauma and even separation between the light-skinned women and the dark-skinned women and we cannot pretend that that doesn't exist now you know my sister-in-law is very light you know and I love you know women of all shades and I think we're all beautiful but still there's some if we're honest, we can really dig deep and know that there's some internal things that we have to work through as it relates you know, to that. You mentioned yeah. that. And so I know we're going to talk about colorism on another episode, but Ev, you said that it was selfish of me to want to see Archie as dark skin, but I will ask you to pause there because I just wanted to see me. And so you have a point of privilege where you can see people who look like you everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so to see a brown skin quote unquote royal, even though I think it's weird, royal child is the same excitement that we felt to know that Megan was going to be a duchess and she too was a black woman. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to see in this royal family, a mm-hmm. face that looked like mine, a face that looks like other brown skin people with red hair to show how blended and beautiful we are in mm-hmm. all shades. So it was here's selfish the- of, I want you to look like me. I just want you to represent people who look mm-hmm. like me. And here's the thing that shook them to their core exactly the potential reality that he might look like that they they started to dismantle this child's birthright Mm -hmm. before he even was born on a fact the 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 fact that they stripped that boy of his prince title to me speaks volumes the first black prince in the monarchy. You'd ask it. You like not, are that That's scared. the craziest thing, though. The craziest thing is, what is, is it? Prince, uh, or Queen Charlotte, I think it was. They say she literally was a Moor. This, the, the, this thing back new. It ain't new, okay, um, mm-hmm. for one. But it is, but it is it's definitely troubling at the fact mm-hmm. that we are in 2021. And I know in 28, you know, 2152, they're gonna be like, oh, y'all are some Neanderthals. But the point being though is that we should be far beyond talking right. about this mess. Yeah. Um, and not. I know it's Raggedy yeah. Daddy um, who said it, but it's Oh yeah, I know it was the daddy. It was the daddy. It was the daddy. And his, and his I think it was his brother. Honestly, I think it was the daddy think it was and the brother. The dad and the brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, when the daddy said it, I think the brother was in the room and didn't check the daddy. And that's dad. why he said, we have space now. Mm-hmm. We got to watch all Because he said, now me and my brother have space, but I'm hoping mm-hmm. we can work through that. Right. Because if you pile my son something, mm-hmm. I don't want to work through nothing with you. And like he said with his daddy, he was like, we don't, he doesn't answer my calls. Mm-hmm. Period. Because you got like a black baby. On Hello. <laughs> Full stop. Period. Because you got a black baby. But, but I while we're talking about, about oh, I agree though, Doctor Hughes, as far as the colorism, we we spoke mm-hmm. about colorism before, and I was telling um, Kim and Kelly how my little sister was the first person to check me about the privilege that I had when she was in college. She called me one day and was like, you just don't know. And I was like, don't know what. And she was like, you don't know what it's like to not get a second look. 
and, and it not being a negative way. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I, like I told in the, in the previous episode, I did initially feel like I had to say, wait, I'm black too. And then I had to say, wait, you know what though? Take it back. You're right. You're absolutely right. Um, and how do we shift that? <sighs> what do you, how do you shift that? Um, you talk about it. Yeah. You talk yeah. about it. You talk about it. But what I first want to talk about yeah. is Harry. Listen. Harry admitted to also being depressed during this time mm-hmm. as well. And don't judge me, y'all, but I don't think it's the same. I just, I think women carry a mental load that men just don't understand. And this quote unquote mental load is a real thing, y'all. So the mental load, there's a term, they've defined it, and it is the invisible labor involved in managing a household and family which typically falls on women's shoulders. So also sometimes referred to as the worry work or the cognitive Mm -hmm. labor. And the mental load is not about the physical task, like actually getting it done, but it's the overseeing of all the Mm -hmm. things that need to be done because you are in charge of this never ending list of things to do, be it Mm -hmm. at home or at work, that's constantly Mm -hmm. running in your head. I imagine that can breed anxiety very easily, Mm -hmm. but even trying to remember what needs to get done and when it needs to get done and who to delegate it to and and making sure that shit just doesn't fall the fall, through fall the to pieces right fall so, through the cracks right so women we're not only required to be wife and mom we also have to be a worker on our jobs mm-hmm. and now we have to be a project manager at the house of your house of your and house. of your of your husband and of your child in yes, a lot of ways i yes. mean it's a lot and i don't so know I don't know if you can if you can compare stars because this was also a little boy who had to walk behind as his mother was being buried, right? And right. and grow up very publicly, yeah. Right, and yeah. and not all. And to be honest, not all women carry are even even if they have a family, they ain't doing the family work. I do ask you if you think what you think Megan was doing in the um, royal palace. That's probably why she was bored. I mean, she wasn't doing nothing. Mm-hmm. She wasn't contributing in any way to society. She was right. just locked up for four and five months at a time. Locked up. You know, she had no meaningful work, and she was used to being out there and contributing to the world. And you just you put her in a cage like a monkey. She did say that she felt like she lost control of her life, like she yeah. lost her voice. And she mm. turned it over, you know, willingly. Yeah. She willingly. She, she says that too. She says that a lot. I willingly yeah. walked away from my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a huge like step that. to take. Well, shit, she can have some of mine because I tell you, I got some things she can do around here if she wants to feel important. Yeah, girl, please. I honestly feel like people don't people don't understand though, um, or don't equate the two. When you look at Meg, especially when you're used to doing everything perfect, mm-hmm. right? I, I mean, she's gone through definitely trials and tribulations in life, um, diverse divorced parents, and and she got divorced, I think, actually before too. Mm-hmm. She's gone through stuff in life, but when you're and her daddy crazy, and her daddy crazy, and her and her, and her sister, sister crazy. Right. Her, yeah, very publicly, like very publicly but, um, too. But when you're used to being, you feel like you finally got your life on track and you're now married to a prince and you are now here and the, all the public eyes are on you, then how do you, um, when she says that she gave it over freely, I think that's because it's to go uphill against this, I will have to admit I failed again. Yeah. How do you fall that far? 
mm. for grace, you know, um, and everybody's watching. And it's one thing to fall privately, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But it's certainly another thing to fall publicly mm-hmm. when yep. everybody can see your demise. Dr. Hugh, do you talk about that? Like what, what does, in your experience, when you, when you counsel or, you know, have therapy, I know you're used to it, at least with your patients, what do you see and what's often the root cause of that for women in particular? Mm-hmm. I think women more than men struggle with identity um, mm-hmm. and, and finding who we are. Um, and typically we define ourselves by the roles that we play um, as opposed to our characteristics and our attributes. So when those roles change, then it's almost like an identity crisis, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you're grasping for straws like, OK, who am I? Um, and it's hard to find meaning in your life when you don't know who you are. This is just like a, the mom who was a stay at home mom and the, the kids go to college and move out and you home. You're trying to figure out, like, who is this person, um, you know, mm-hmm. and just really you didn't find any fulfillment for you but you found it in doing these things and fulfilling these roles. So I would, and that, and that certainly contributes to depression. So I I would encourage us to really know who we are for who we are outside Mm -hmm. of the roles that we play. And, you know, Kim is this dynamic, smart, beautiful woman who happens to be one of the managing directors of Good Stop and mom to Trey and Lindsay and, you know, all of these other things that you do. Um, But that flows out of who you are. Um, and not, you don't define yourselves by those things. So um, that's what I would encourage us to do as women, for sure. Yeah. Another factor that I'd love to hear from, from you about Dr. Huji is just around the media scrutiny and kind of relating that to social media. Mm-hmm. So again, back to the beginning of the conversation, mm-hmm. they did even pre- anything say we want less media attention. We, who can imagine the scrutiny of all those tabloids being on you constantly, mm-hmm. right? I don't know. Is she is she looking at comments and articles? Is she even reading these articles? You know, what what role do you think social media plays or media in general? Granted, for the average person, it's not at that height, but a lot of people aspire to those heights. And so mm-hmm. what can what does that do to mental health as women are navigating this um I, I guess being judged? my society. I'll tell you, can I add a, can I add an info point of explanatory comma? So she said that she was not reading the tabloids, but her family and friends were to include her mom. And that's when she became really concerned because they would call her with so Mm -hmm. much concern. And so she then starts to shoulder their concern as well. So you Mm -hmm. can speak to that too, Dr. Huji, like us being an empath and taking on mm-hmm. other people's feelings. Yeah, taking on those roles. And how do you protect yourself? Her. And if you are an empath, because I am, and when people are constantly calling you to talk about their issues as they do, right. how do you protect yourself? Because when you want to be helpful for other people, and it's like, I can't take, I can't take another text message or someone needing something else from me. Mm-hmm. today and it is constant so how do you protect yourself y'all gonna ask me about five questions yeah let's start with let's start with the first question let's start with the kind of the media scrutiny yes. okay. social media okay. and the impacts of that on an individual's mental health 
Sure. Um, so obviously the media um, has, it creates these unrealistic expectations that we try to live up to. Um, and certainly no one can live up to the stuff that we post on social media. We don't even live up to it. Okay. We're posting those highlights. Um, and so I think that is a level of pressure for her as well. But then she was bullied. I mean, you know, she wasn't cyber bullied. She was nationally bullied. She was world bullied, whatever you want to call it. She was bullied. And so, you know, when you have people attacking every aspect of your personhood, simply because you're alive, um, you know, not because you were doing anything to garner such attention, but just because you were alive, I cannot imagine, you know, what kind of battle that was internally for her and how that affected her poor baby. Yeah, that baby need. Yeah, she that was a lot. She bit off more than she could chew. She didn't know um, fully what she was getting herself into, and we never do. We mm-hmm. never do. Mm-hmm. Fair. Did and- she bite? Did she bite off more than she can chew? Because, or was it that she just happened to? Because I think she could have handled it if it was actually people that were worth her her being that were on her side. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, we all go, you know, you've been in a situation where you go into it with a positive attitude and you think it's going to be one thing. um, And then the environment betrays you. And you know that, and you're trying to figure out like, who is my ally? Like, who can I really talk to about Mm -hmm. this within this organization? Right. Are are these people, uh, because I definitely have been, are these people like, are they playing against me? And they can make the smallest comment, but as a trigger, because you're already paranoid and you want to go off on people and you're like, you know something? And then you're playing into the angry black woman, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that stereotype. And so you have to, and so there's, there's all of these battles um, that we as black women are fighting in these spaces you know, that we're not even aware of sometimes. You just, you're taking blows that you don't even know exists. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't see, it's like you're blindfolded. You don't even know who it's coming from. Right. You just go out and you, Eb, you just be going and swinging. That's what yeah. it is. <laughs> yes, she does. Uh, Yes, I do. Yeah. yeah. I, I got a blowtorch and a lighter flame. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Yeah. Huger, you know, I could talk to you all day because you just, you, you just have a soothing spirit. Yes, yes, yes. But I want to hop into this B side because um, I want to make sure, I want to get bothered because I want to make sure that women feel encouraged. Hashtag be bothered. Outside of all the tea that we sipped during this interview, because it was definitely um, worthy TV, I hope that women felt empowered to share their stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I hope that this podcast episode did that for you too. So ladies, as we close out, what's one thing that you would add to Megan's story to empower women um, going through a tough mental struggle? I'll hop in and I feel like Dr. Huge being here is so fitting. But for me is don't be afraid to try therapy. If you've never tried it before, y'all, take it for a test run. Um, Think about it. If your arm was throbbing for weeks, if your arm had a severe pain, you would go to the doctor. If your head and your spirit is throbbing for weeks, if something's telling you I need to talk to somebody about this, that's the indication that it's way past time to go talk to somebody about it. And whether you have the the ability 
the privilege to see somebody face to face or whether you need to use more affordable options like Talkspace or OnlineTherapy.com. There's just a lot out there now that I think mm-hmm. didn't exist even five years ago. Ironically, this is a cause that Harry champions quite a bit. This is the national, their kind of national talk therapy space was one of his, mm-hmm. um, I forget what they call them, but that was one of his main um, Platform. charities, platforms mm-hmm. that he was yeah. trying to promote, you know, this online therapy opportunity. And so ladies, if you've never tried it before, please don't be scared to check it out. And no, you might not connect with your therapist. If you don't connect with this one, try another one. It kind of is like trying on relationships too, but invest in the time so that you can have a space that's not your girlfriends. And don't get me wrong. I love girlfriends and, and, and sharing everything with girlfriends. Lord, I don't know what I do without mine, but to somebody who is trained to help mm-hmm. you walk through these situations. So, I mean, Dr. Huji, I feel like you're the perfect example of, of why we need therapists. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm going to follow up with you, Kelly, because I'm going to completely con- contradict what you just said. I'm saying talk to your girlfriends. <laughs> talk. But it's like, it's not just talking to your girlfriends, but just talk. Talk to anyone that you have that will listen. You have to let that out because so often our worst enemy is looking at us right in the mirror and living in between our ears, right? Somehow the brain can tell us the weirdest things about ourselves. And we often need those people who love Mm -hmm. us and who are closest to us to recenter us and remind us remind us of how special we really are. So I know I'm a victim of um, holding things in and just uh, and trying to figure it out on my own because I want to solve my own problems. But sometimes it's not even about solving the problem, but it's just about releasing the feeling so that you can move on through your day. So I would encourage you guys to release. Yeah. I don't want to downplay girlfriends, Kim. I I love a good (laughs) girlfriend talk. I'm not hating it. <laughs> Whatever, because you're going to talk to me if I want to talk. talk uh, I am about, well, I think I have a, another way. Um, knowing what to cut loose, what, what doesn't feed you. So mm-hmm. I think taking from Meg, um, the most important thing is that there are going to be some people that will drain you until you look and die, okay? Um, and there are going to be some situations that you can talk to that mountain as much as you want to, and it's not going to budge. Mm-hmm. If if you get to a point where you realize that something is toxic to the, your very spirit, you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. And it may cost you everything. When she looked at, um, you know, Harry and said, I got to leave, it's either it can cost me everything over here or is it, it can cost me my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there is nothing worth holding on to, whether that's a friendship, a relationship, um, a job, a there's it's just not worth keeping investing, thinking you can talk your way out of it because certain situations it just ain't. And, gonna in, be and in this instance, it was family. And I think that that's the most difficult thing for people to walk away from. We can cut ties with friends. We can walk away from a job, but that family, your daddy, but for the average person, that's, that's tough. huge. That's hard. That's it's hard. tough. But at the same time, it's because what we know is mental health is physical health. Mm-hmm. And yes, we can talk about depression and we, we almost put that in a pocket on the side, but we know that pregnant women who are severely stressed out increased risk of miscarriage. Okay. Mm-hmm. We know that there's um, with chronic stress is literally a direct correlation to 
cancer development within your body. We know there's a direct correlation to heart failure, to, to literally your body organs, because hormones are literally chemical signals to all of you, not just isolated to your brain, but everything in you. And so if it is a family member that you know is completely toxic, it may take you saying, okay, this is all I can give you boundaries to myself. Mm-hmm. And when you get that, when you feel like you can now meet me on a positive level, for sure, the door may be open. It may not be, but that's when you can come back in my life, but I can't let you keep on punching one, one, with one relationship. I told um, a guy at some points, I wish you would just put your hands on me because then you would know when it was enough because with these emotional punches, people don't take that as being violent and it is violent. And right. when it got to that point, it was like, I got to go because this is, this is literally killing me. I sold. Killing me. That's a perfect roundabout to Dr. Huji because you Hugey. talked about the chipping at the soul. Mm-hmm. What yeah. would you tell these women to encourage them or empower them through this mental struggle? I will say that emotional wellness is a lifelong journey and it's full of highs and lows and peaks and valleys. And so when we're in the valley, um, because we all end up there at some point, I think that is important for us to recognize what resources we need to activate, like who can Mm -hmm. we lean on Mm -hmm. professionally or even personally, who can we invite in the valley with us? Um, But then also what lessons are we learning while Mm -hmm. we're in the valley? You know, I think um, what we know about growth and what's fascinating about it is when there are plants that bloom in dark places um, and valleys. So you can still grow in the valley, um, you know, if, if you're paying attention to that. And so I think we always want to be on the mountain, you know, um, but there's some really valuable things that we learn during our challenging time, even if it's just knowing who's for us and who's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and and certainly, as Ebony was talking about earlier, because I didn't get to answer your question about boundaries and just knowing where you end and where the other person begins. Um, and some seasons were stronger than others. So you may have the capacity to carry certain things and to listen to certain people. But other seasons, you might not be able to. They might not be able to call you, Eb, right. you know, because you don't have the emotional capacity at that time to carry that. Do not so, disturb. Um, yeah, do, do not, not disturb. Do not disturb <laughs> and being okay with that, um, because we want to be everything to everybody. Yes. Um, and I and I just want to leave you with my favorite quote: um, that self care is not selfish, but it is stewardship over the one gift that God has given you to give to the world, and that's you. You are a gift to the world. So how are you going to steward your gift? That was a mic drop. Are you trying to make me cry? I mean, beautiful. I don't cry like that. Y'all can cry, but uh, Kim can cry, but I don't cry. All day, all day. I'm with you, Dr. Hughie. I don't, I don't cry like that. Yeah, I'm glad because these two right here. Whatever, because y'all are psychos. Y'all are psycho serial killers. Y'all are psycho serial killers. They feel everything deeply. Bless you. 
I got to like y'all though. Deeply, y'all. Um, Dr. Huji, again, thank you so much for joining us. You brought so much value. Your expertise, your, your outlook, your lens is beautiful. And I am deeply grateful that you shared your own personal struggles because it also helps everybody to realize we all go through this. Right. Therapists yeah. go through this. Leaders go through this. Mm-hmm. Princesses go through this. We all have those valley moments. And so I appreciate the authenticity and just the humanity that you brought to the conversation today. Please, 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 listeners, keep listening to the BPAC and tell us what you thought about today's episode. If you're watching us on YouTube, leave us some comments and also let us know if there's a B word that you would like for us to unpack in a future episode. Stay encouraged, practice self-care in whatever form that might look like for you and talk to your therapist and to your friends about your issues. Until the next time, BPACers, let's keep unpacking. Thank you for unpacking another B Word with Kelly, Kim, and Ebony. Follow the B Word on Instagram at the B Word Unpacked and follow Goodstock Consulting on Facebook and YouTube. Learn more about Goodstock at www.goodstockconsulting.com.